Our scripture this morning is going to come from Matthew chapter 19, verses 21 through 27. And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? I failed to mention to Brother Clay, there's a youth event that is going to take place at the Eastside Congregation in Cleveland tomorrow, and several of us, I've been able to mention that to a few of us, but I want to make that known to the congregation uh, we plan on going and participating in that with the Eastside Congregation. We're going to be there at 6 o'clock for a devotional following. We're going to have a softball game with them. And so anybody that wants to go and be with us, not just the youth, but anybody that wants to go, uh, let me know and then we'll decide how we're going to get there a little bit later this evening. But that's tomorrow and we plan on being there at 6 o'clock. As we look through the Bible, and we begin in Genesis, and we continue our way through the Revelation, the Bible is a wonderful piece simply from a literature standpoint. When we look at what all the Bible offers to us, if we're just looking at it from a literary standpoint, we notice that there are things in the Bible that would interest almost any reader. Those people who are interested in love stories, the Bible is full of them. Those who like to read about some action and some wars and things of that nature, the Bible is full of that. The Bible is full of every kind of literature that we can imagine. Wisdom literature, prophetic literature, things that would interest almost anyone. Now understanding that, and as we look through the Bible and we read those things, we come across the different people who are talked about within the Scripture. Some people call them characters. That's okay to call uh, mention Bible characters. I, I don't normally like to use that term simply because, <clears throat> uh, in my mind anyway, it makes me think of perhaps a fable or a myth or something like that. Now that may be a scruple on my part. We talked about scruples this morning. But when we begin to look at the people who are described in these events, these actual events in the history of mankind, we see varied personalities. We see all different kinds of people who participate in different kinds of things. We read about people that we want to emulate. We read about people who we have the utmost respect for. And then, of course, we read about those people who, upon reading their account, we almost have a hatred for them. Not really, that's not what we want, but we may certainly have a dislike for them. 
When I begin to read about Jacob, the second son of Isaac, I don't care for that man. I don't care for his personality. I don't care for his lack of character when I first meet him. Now later on, he becomes what God needs him to be, and he becomes a godly person. But I don't particularly care about the kind of person he is when I am first introduced to Jacob. I feel that same way about Esau. Nothing really changes from the first time I meet Esau in Scripture to the last time he's mentioned. I still don't personally care for his character, the kind of person he is. But we make our way into the New Testament and then we come to the Apostle Peter. And perhaps Peter, more so than any other individual that we read about in the New Testament, has his uh, experiences of highs and lows. He does very well and we read about him and we think, boy, I want to be just like Peter. And then on other occasions we read about something and, and then we say, I don't want to be anything like Peter. He can ascend to the peak and then he finds himself in the deepest of the valleys. I think that the average person, upon reading about Peter, we can kind of identify with him. I think we look to Peter and we say, well, I've got some stuff in common with that man. I have some characteristics in common with him. I think sometimes it's those characteristics that are maybe not as pleasing to God as they ought to be, at least when I look at Peter, that's kind of how I identify with him. I think, well, I've kind of done those similar things in life. But see, we need to look beyond that, don't we? We look at Peter and, and, and he will stir in us feelings of admiration. After all, notice some of the things about Peter. He was a man of daring qualities, wasn't he? He was a man of action. He had a very charming personality as we read about him in Scripture. He had strong faith. I don't know of anyone who had a stronger faith at times than Peter. We look and we see that he was a natural leader. He was self-confident. He was exuberant in spirit. He was energetic. And he was quite opinionated. All of those qualities... Maybe we can pick a few of those out and we identify them in ourselves as well. But when the Bible records the events of the individuals who lived the lives that written before us, and that includes Peter, we get the whole story, don't we? We get the story of Jacob in his early life the kind of individual that we don't want to be, a liar and a schemer and a cheater. And then later on as he grows and he matures, we get that Jacob who, well, we want to be more like him because he had a nation named after him because he became what God needed him to be. We read about Noah becoming drunk. We read about Abraham telling lies. We read about the adultery of David, the idolatry of Solomon. The Bible gives us the whole story. And the Bible gives us the whole story about Peter. He is no different. We know Peter to be the one that made that great confession. Thou art the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, 16. But wasn't it that exact same Peter who said, I don't know the man. As he was standing on the outskirts of the crowd, not wanting to get too close. We also know him as the man who 
had done something that no other man had ever done other than the Lord and has not done since then. Do you know Peter actually walked on the water? He walked on the water for a few steps, but then of course he lost his focus. The Bible records for us the good and the bad. He doesn't hold anything back, our Lord doesn't. God provided it all for us, and He did it for a reason, and we have to understand that. He did it so we would have the opportunity to learn from what has happened in the past, Romans 15, 4. Wisdom is normally learned by a mistake, whether it's one we made or whether it's one someone else made. Normally, that's how it goes. Of course, in the context of our passage, this young man comes before the Lord, and he asked the Lord a question. He said, how might I gain eternal life? We know that he went to the right source. He went to Christ. He said, how can I get to heaven? And of course, knowing his heart, Christ looking into his very inner being, he said, go sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. Of course, Christ knew what the answer would be. What did the young man do? Well, he went away sorrowfully. Why? Because he had a lot of things. He was a very wealthy individual. He had many possessions, and he loved those more than he could ever love Christ. That brings us to the very point where Peter decided to speak up knowing his characteristics and his very opinionated ideas on things, his, his very character of wanting to be in the front, he said, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? I've titled the sermon this morning, I have forsaken all. Now that's an interesting statement that Peter made because he had assumed that he had forsaken all things and he had given his life to Christ and in essence he was saying, we've given all of this up, what can we expect in return? What can we have because of our greatness, of our great faith, of our willingness to give everything up, what can we get in return? Now what we want to do this morning is dig into the Scripture. We want to dig into Peter's life and we want to use it in hope of learning something from him. Peter had given up a lot of things in his life. But had he done that before he became what God needed him to be? Had he given up anything in reality in his life up to this point? We're going to talk a little bit about that. But first of all, really what we want to talk about is some things he hadn't given up yet. Thinking he had given up all things, he had yet to have given up his pride. Pride will cause the individual who is prideful to lose his very soul. Pride will populate hell. That's what Satan wants. Notice that Peter thought he was better than the young man who had gone to Christ. He was better. He was prideful, that's our first point. But he thought he was better. He, th- he was thinking, look at me, look what I've done. I have really given myself to you. 
I've given all things up, and look how much better I am. Now, we don't know Peter's financial situation. We're not told what his bank account looked like. We're not told what his savings account looked like. We don't know what his income was on a regular basis. But I do know this, he wasn't a rich man. He was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. It appears to me that he worked for someone. He might have worked for John's father in the fishing industry. I want us to notice though, isn't it pretty easy to give up something if you don't have anything to give up? That's kind of an easy task, isn't it? Boy, I'm really good at giving up things that I don't have. That's not a problem, is it? For sure, Peter gave up a lot later in life, but at this point, what had he given up? I don't know that he'd given up anything. He gave up his livelihood as a fisherman. I don't know how hard that was. But didn't later on he decide in in despair and depression of Christ going to the cross, didn't he say, I'm going to go back to fishing? John 21 verse 3. And the other ones went with him. I'm going to go back to that very thing I gave up. It appears to me the only thing that he gave up. He said, I'm going to go back to it. Now there are a lot of people in the world, and I include myself in this, a lot of the time who believe they've really sacrificed for God. But again, it's it's easy to sacrifice to God when the sacrifice is easy for me to do, right? If it's something that doesn't really make a difference in my life, well, yeah, I can sacrifice that, no problem. We read through the Bible, we're supposed to be sober-minded. We're supposed to abstain from drugs and alcohol. You know what? I can sacrifice that, no problem. That doesn't have an allure to me. So I'll sacrifice that. Chalk that down for Rick. He has sacrificed and he's not going to imbibe. But you know what? There are a lot of people in the world that have a problem with that. That are struggling with that. They're trying to sacrifice that and they're having a little bit of a difficult time. Does that make it right? No, that's not what we're saying. My point is, it's easy for me to sacrifice in that way. Maybe easy for most of you to sacrifice in that way. But there's someone out there who wants to give himself to Christ, who has obeyed the gospel, and he's struggling with that. Maybe it's not so easy for him. It was easy for Peter to give up riches in this life. You know why? He didn't have any. He didn't have any riches. I don't read about him being a wealthy man. But what about his pride? He couldn't give up that pride, could he? He said, look at this rich man. I've given up everything. He won't give up anything. He thought he was better. But what about his boldness? He not only thought he was better in his pride, he was bolder. He was going to step out in the forefront. He was going to do exactly what God needed him to do. Do you remember after having fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, Matthew 14? Jesus told them, Enter into the boat, go to the other side, to Bethsaida. So they did that. They got in the boat, they were going, and about halfway, this terrible storm erupted. It began to toss about on the Sea of Galilee, this small fishing vessel type of boat. And the Sea of Galilee, known for its storms, it would arise very quickly and be very damaging. So they're being tossed about in this boat, and 
And as they're crossing the, the sea, and then all of a sudden Jesus came walking on the water to them. Now they didn't realize it was our Lord. You know what they thought? Having already been scared to death in fear of their lives, they thought they were seeing a ghost. They thought they were seeing a disembodied spirit of someone who had gone on before, and they became extremely frightened. Matthew six forty-eight. And you know what Christ said, the next verse? Be of good cheer, it is I. Well, of course, that's when Peter said, I am the boldest one in the, in the whole boat here. I'm going to show my great faith. I'm going to show my love for Christ. And he, he called out and he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. You know what Christ said? He simply said, come. Peter stepped out on that water and he walked on the water for a while. And then what happened? The wind blew a little too hard. The waves crashed a little too much. He lost his focus. He began to look around and he, and he began to sink into that water he was so afraid of just minutes before that. Do you remember what he did? He called out. He called out, Lord, save me. You know, prior to that time, we might say, what daring confidence, what great faith. I'll just tell you, I'm afraid of open water. I don't care for it. I don't want to be in it. It's not really the water, it's the stuff in the water that I can't see. So I'm not interested. I'm not going to go scuba diving. I know a brother in in Memphis he goes scuba diving all the time. And I said, have you ever seen a shark? He said, I don't think it's been a good dive unless I do. I said, well, I'm glad that you enjoy it. I'm not going. Of course, he didn't invite me. He said, Lord, save me. And the Lord did what He always does. He reached out His hand and He saved him. But didn't He offer a little bit of a rebuke? Oh, thou of little faith. Why did you doubt? Wasn't he bolder? Wasn't he braver? If he's so bold and he's so brave, what, what's the problem? Now Peter might tell each of us at that point in his life, I'm so much better than this rich man. I'm so much better. I'm so much bolder. I'm willing to give up everything. And he, he wasn't any of those things. He wasn't better. He wasn't bolder. We saw him just shriveled down into someone who was crying for help, reaching out to the Lord, please save me. His pride was getting the best of him. But he was also, in his mind, braver. He was better, he was bolder. Look what pride does to us. Oh, I'm so much braver. On the occasion of the institution of the Lord's Supper, Jesus warned Peter, he said, Satan's after you. He wants to sift you like wheat. He's going to get you. That's what he wants. We see that in, in that section. Peter was defiant though, wasn't he? You remember what he said? I'll go to the death. I'll go to prison. I'll die for you. He won't get me. I'm going to stand up to him and I'm going to do all that you need me to do. He was ready to forsake his life. I believe him at that time. That's what he believed. I think he was telling the truth. At that moment, I'll go to the death. 
I will give myself. But you know what? He wouldn't give up his pride, though. He'd give his life. Jesus said, Luke 22, 31-34, He said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before you shall three times deny me. You're going, you're going to say you don't even know who I am. He stood in the very face of the Lord. He said again, he said, I will die for you, but I won't deny you. Never happened. Pride was really getting in the way of Peter. But it wasn't just pride. I want us to notice our second point. He hadn't given up his pride, but he hadn't given up his perception of things either. Peter was a very presumptuous young man, wasn't he? Often he would overstep the bounds. He would overstep his authority. He looked at things the way Peter wanted to look at them. He didn't look at them through the eyes of the Lord. He thought they ought to be a certain way. But wasn't it God who had the plan to save mankind? Wasn't it Christ who came to institute that plan? Did they need Peter's help in adjusting that in some way? He was presumptuous. He felt like they did. Peter had decided that he was not going to allow Christ to go to the cross. He was going to prevent his murder on the cross. He was going to physically protect that man. He was not going to allow anything to happen. And he even chastised him when he began to unveil to the, to the disciples exactly what his plan was. I want us to read Mark, Matthew 6, verse 21. Matthew recorded for us, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now let's focus on that for a moment. Jesus began to instruct the disciples, I will go to Jerusalem. It's necessary. I will be murdered at the hands of the elders of the Jewish religion, but I will come out of the grave and be resurrected on the third day. What was Peter's response? Well, I'm not having any of that. That's not going to happen. Verses 21 through 22, Matthew continues saying, Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Jesus. He's rebuking the Lord, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Do you know how Peter looked at God's plan of redemption, the eternal purpose of God, Ephesians 3.11? He saw it as weak and cowardly. He saw it as something that was shameful. You're not going to die on that cross. Oh, hey, the worst of the worst die on the cross. I'm not going to allow it to happen. You know, Satan could not stop Christ from fulfilling his duty. Matthew chapter 4, when he was out in that wilderness for 40 days, fasting and praying and, and being tempted every single day, Satan could not get a foothold on our Lord. But you know what he did? He went to his very good friend Peter. It's almost like we say with enemies, with friends like that, we don't need enemies. Now, Peter wasn't intentionally trying to derail God's plan, but he was certainly active in Satan trying to derail that plan. Peter, Peter was presumptuous, but he was also premature. 
he was premature in his perceptions. He had a, a bad habit, like so many of us have, of speaking before thinking. Christ took his closest of friends up on Mount Hermon. He took them up there, and, and as Christ prayed, they fell asleep. And as when they awoke, you remember what they saw. They saw Christ speaking to Moses and Elijah. We know that as the Mount of Transfiguration. Again, Peter, seeing things a little differently than what God saw them, he made a statement. He said, Master, it is good for us to be here. He was right up to that point. It was good for them to be there. He said, let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Do you know what Peter was doing? He was placing Moses and Elijah, mere men who had sinned in this life, good men who had repented of whatever sins they had committed, who followed after God, good and great men, but still men who needed forgiveness from sin. He was placing them on the same level as our Lord. Let's make a tabernacle. Let's make, let's put something up in memorial, in, in memorial. To you three men who are so great. That was an insult really, wasn't it? You remember what happened next? Luke recorded that Peter spoke, not knowing what he said, speaking before thinking, while the words were still on his tongue. He hadn't even finished that statement. Luke 9, 28-36, There came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Did we need Moses? Yes, we needed Moses. Did the world need Elijah? Absolutely, the world needed Elijah, but more so than Christ? Were they just as important as Christ? No. What if Moses had decided not to be what God wanted him to be? He gave him that choice. Someone else would have stepped up and done what Moses did. What if Elijah hadn't wanted to be the great prophet that he became? Someone else would have stepped up and filled his place. They were great men. Great men. But it was to Christ we were to listen and are to listen. Didn't Peter know that though? The writer of Hebrews declared God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. Peter knew that. Peter knew the prophecy. Moses had spoken of this individual, Deuteronomy 18.15. He said, The Lord thy God will raise up to thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren. He's going to come out from the people like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. What was Peter thinking? He wasn't. He was just speaking. Thinking or speaking without thinking. He was premature in his action, but he was also persistent but not in a good way. We need persistence in our lives, but it needs to be directed properly. It was almost as if Peter wouldn't listen. When he got something on his mind, he was he had tunnel vision. He, he wouldn't listen to anyone. He wouldn't change his direction. In John 13, the Lord had finished the Passover feast. He got up from there. He girded himself with a towel. And, and you remember the account. He began to wash the feet of the apostles. 
He began to wash their feet, and it, as you read the account, he must have washed the feet of some of the apostles. And finally, in chapter 13 of John, he comes to Peter, and do you remember what Peter said in verse 8? You'll never wash my feet. I, when I read that, I almost see him recoil his feet back. No, you're not going to wash my feet. What was happening in that situation? The Lord was giving them an object lesson in humility. If He, the Master, could wash the feet of the servant, could the servants not wash the feet of each other? You remember what the whole problem was there? In that culture, the host, when there was a meal and people would come, they had a servant to wash the old dirty feet of those who came to eat. You know who the servant normally was? It was a slave. But you've got these men, you've got Peter, prideful Peter. Better Peter, braver Peter, bolder Peter. Not just Peter, the other men. They weren't going to pick up a towel and wash their dirty feet. That's the problem. So the master did it, giving them an example of how we're to behave with each other. Peter wasn't going to have any of it. He said, you won't wash my feet. He didn't understand, did he? Peter, he, he just wouldn't listen. He was willing to serve the Lord. I believe any man there would have washed the Lord's feet. They weren't going to wash each other's feet. They'd been complaining and bickering and fussing about who was going to have the position of power in the kingdom anyway. So they were already irritated with one another. They weren't going to submit to each other. I believe they would have washed Jesus' feet, but they weren't going to wash each other. Peter would not wash the feet of his fellow laborers, but he would not give up his perception. Even though he would have washed Jesus' feet, I believe that. He hadn't left his pride. His perception was getting in the way, but there was another problem that he had. This is our final point. He could not give up popularity. He wanted it. Now, I don't know that that was first and foremost in his mind, but he had a problem with popularity. He tried to deliver Christ from the Jews. He was going to do that, not wanting to be the one who was not involved in the action. Peter often found himself yielding to that pressure. He wanted to be the one who saved Christ. He wanted to fit in. No matter what, and Satan was going to help him do that. Satan will help us do those things that we're not supposed to do. In the garden, do you remember, and I know you do, he tried to kill Malchus. He took out his sword and, and he wanted to, I believe, remove his head from his body. Malchus must have moved out of the way just a little bit, so he got his ear. Christ told him, Put up again thy sword in its place. Put your sword up, Peter. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. But Peter, wanting to be popular among the brethren, wanting to deliver Christ from the Jews, he felt like Christ in some way needed his help. He needed Peter to physically defend him. Isn't that... That's just... If, if that wasn't so sad, it would be hilarious. The one who created the whole world needs help from Peter? 
He would forsake his physical life, and I believe at that very point he would have given himself for Jesus right there. He would have fought to the bitter end and to death. But he wouldn't give up popularity. He wanted to deliver Christ, but we know how that ended. He denied him, didn't he? Why? Because of popularity. Christ taken off, arrested after this great show of bravery. Christ is taken. Peter's kind of hanging around on the the outskirts of the action, and he comes upon some people and they ask him a question. You're a Galilean, he could tell by his accent. You're a Galilean, aren't you part of that group? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man the third time he did it with cursing and swearing. That's what Peter was doing, Matthew 26, 69 through 75. I don't know that he realized it at the time, but he yielded to the pressure to fit in. He began to fear for his own life. He didn't want to be a part of that crowd. Christ was about to be murdered. He knew that and he was trying to find a way out. That happens in our own lives today. What's the application? Notice what Christ said in Matthew 10, beginning with verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Do we truly understand the danger Peter had placed himself in? Do we truly understand the danger we place ourselves in when we do not live our lives confessing Christ in our behaviors every day? His need for popularity caused him to deny Christ. Finally, I want us to notice it also prevented him from dining with the Gentiles, right? By the time Paul came around and he was doing his work for the Lord, it had been about 30 years from the time Peter preached that sermon on Pentecost. He's he's in Galatia. He's eating with the Gentiles. And guess who comes? James. And he brings some people from Jerusalem. What's Peter do? He gets up. He walks away from the Gentiles. He goes away. He begins to, to ostracize them. He doesn't want to have any part with them because... The Jews had a problem with the Gentiles. He said, I'm not going to participate. Don't you believe it's odd that when the apostles and the elders came together into Jerusalem to talk about this very thing, that Peter was the one who defended the Gentiles? And now he has given in to peer pressure, popularity. And later, we know what Paul did, right? He said, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed, Galatians 2, verse 11. He would risk his life for the Lord, but he couldn't turn loose of the popularity. He couldn't turn loose of the peer pressure. So we ask the question, had Peter really forsaken all? What had Peter given up at the point that he made that statement? You know, when we read through this great literature, Peter is the most intriguing individual. He is so interesting to listen to and to read about. And I think most of us can identify with him. I believe we see his humanity. We see him truly as a person is, and and we can look at that, and then we can kind of see ourselves. Peter thought he'd given up everything. He hadn't given up anything up to that point. He hadn't given up a single thing. He was doing a different job. He didn't understand it correctly. But later, he wrote some letters to those of the dispersion, into Asia Minor. By the time he penned the second of those two letters, 
So many years had passed and he had grown and matured. According to tradition, Peter's wife suffered martyrdom. According to tradition, he walked beside her, encouraging her all the way, said Clement of Alexandria. What a different Peter at that point. He had given up some things. If that is true, he gave up those things that was most dear to him. And I think he truly knew what it meant to forsake all for Christ. With that in mind, I want us to consider and close on the words of Peter. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this, my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. 2 Peter 1, 13-14 Peter was on the high road again. He came out of the valley and he was a soldier for Christ. And he had forsaken all. So we asked the question this morning. Have I forsaken all? Have I sacrificed the things I need to sacrifice? Have I given my life for God? Have I obeyed Him in initial obedience to the gospel? Hearing the Word of God and believing it. John eight twenty four, Repenting of all past sins. Deciding I'm going to turn my life around. Acts 3, verse 19. Confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came up out of the grave, and that He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And we see that very thing happen in Acts 8, verse 37. Being immersed in water, going down into the watery grave of baptism, coming up to walk in a new life, Romans 6, 3 and 4, and living and walking on the high road, going through the valley from time to time, but always coming back out on top. Being faithful. If you've done that and you've become unfaithful, come back to the Lord. Peter had to do it. He's our great example. Denying God and coming back. We do that through repentance and confession. And then again, we'll be cleansed by the blood of Jesus as we walk in the light. 1 John 1 verse 7. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, please do that as we stand and as we sing.